Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Time for Tell Me Why now with uh, Graham Finley. If you have a question for Graham, as ever, you can send it into afternoon at newstalk.com. Today's question is this Do boomerangs always fly back to you? And Graham joins us now in News Talk. Afternoon, Graham. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, there is an old joke that uh, a boomerang that doesn't come back to you is, is a stick, but uh, there is such a thing as a throwing stick. Yes, indeed. Throwing sticks are the earliest technology we have for basically harming things. And, uh, it, you know, almost every culture used it, and many of them found, after they carved it to, to fly a little better, that they would come back. And uh, that was not just true of the Aboriginal Australians, but of Egyptians. And uh, they proved, thanks to reconstructing it, of a boomerang, or they, they think they've proved, of a boomerang uh, found in Normandy in France, which is very, very old. And, and one of the coolest things archaeologists do is recreate stuff. Uh, it's called experimental archaeology, and to recreate stuff from the past. And it looks pretty convincing that this was a returning boomerang. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. And, and so, but but there so there are various versions of throwing sticks. Then some of them return to you, and some of them don't. Absolutely. And in fact, the throwing boomerangs, um, which you know would have been a little while before they discovered it, but uh, the throwing boomerangs were mostly used for fun, even by the Australians, uh, and. The, the, the non-returning boomerangs uh, to actually kill stuff. So the one, some of the uses you could have for a, a returning boomerang is to maybe scare birds to, uh, to you know, that, to, to fly, make them fly into nets or run away from, uh, you know, into, from, from uh, what they think is a predator, basically. But, uh, no, if you really wanted to kill someone, you'd get, like, a, a larger, usually, um, non-returning boomerang and you throw it at an emu or a kangaroo, and you could break its neck or its legs if you hit it correctly, or, or a human being. In fact, they've, they've found a guy they're pretty sure was killed by a boomerang, just given the, the nature of his, his wound and, uh, and you know, his expression. If you, if you see it, it's hard to show on the radio, but uh, his expression is definitely that of someone who's been hit in the head by a boomerang. It's like, ow! Okay, I, I, I didn't know there was a specific expression uh, associated with that. Uh, uh, so, crikey. So, yeah, because it makes sense, really, if a boomerang won't come back to you if it's hit something on its outward journey. So try, in as far as you can, in, in, in relatively simple language, explain what are the physics of, of making a boomerang return to you? Yeah, I mean, in cartoons, you throw a boomerang at someone, it hits them, and then it flies back to you as if by magic. But that's not how it works in real life. So what a boomerang is, is an airfoil. In fact, it's two airfoils stuck together, which look an awful lot like a, a, a plane's wing, hmm. right? Even though, you know, they can have three legs, they have three wings, they can have four wings. I mean, there's lots of different kinds of boomerangs. Uh, and what you do is you throw it on a slight angle, um, if you're right-handed to the right, if you're left-handed to the left, and there are, in fact, left and right-handed boomerangs for this purpose, you, you throw it slightly tilted to the right, forward with the sort of hook of the boomerang pointing forward. And it goes forward and it's spinning, and the airfoil, um, which is just like the wing of a plane, um, pushes, you know, the air going over the top of the, the curved part of the wing, uh, pushes down on the air, um, and then the air pushes back up, through Newton's laws, and that causes it to move quite slightly up and, and to the left. And then the torque on the, on the thing, because it's spinning, right, pushes the, um, the, the sort of axis of the flight to a little bit away and down, so it turns uh, to the left, we'll say, if it's a right-handed boomerang, 
the left and comes on back to you. Just as if you had a plane, which is tilted to the, to the left with the wings down to the left, it's going to turn around in a circle. If you've ever been you know, orbiting around the Dublin airport, uh, that's, that's the same sort of principle. But in this case, it's the spin, which is something called uh, gyroscopic precession, which um, is the tendency of things to, to leave a sort of perfect spin, the perfect angle they were thrown at, uh, just because of, of the, the extra torque on the top of the, the wing. The main reason is that one wing is, is moving faster than the other, and that's why it starts to spin and it starts to, to, to rotate around and come on back to you. Right. Okay. Now, why, I mean, as you mentioned already, uh, it seems as if there was many cultures who had their own version of the boomerang. Why is it so associated with uh, uh, the Aboriginal community in Australia? Did, 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 did they like it particularly? They did, and in fact, they used it exclusively in ways almost no one else did. Uh, and it's actually quite striking. Returning boomerangs really do seem to have have, have stopped being used by just about every other culture, whereas the uh, Australian, the Aboriginal Australians, uh, kept with it. And uh, so there might be various reasons for that. I mean, you know, Tutankhamun had a bunch of returning boomerangs, um, but they seem to have mostly been for fun. He also had non-returning boomerangs, uh, and people still use them in other cultures. You know, for for certain things um, in Southwest United States, the, the Indian tribes, you describe them as rabbit sticks. They'd use them to kill rabbits. The Tamils have a really scary set of boomerangs called Valari, which they made out of metal. And you definitely do not want to be hit by this boomerang uh, uh, because they can fly farther and, and with a little more force because they're whipping around uh, and they can be sharp. But, but in any case, bar that, people actually usually adopted this, this uh, bow and arrow, mm. uh, but the aboriginals never did. And uh, there are lots of theories about this, some of which are, are, are kind of racist in the sense that they suggest that the aboriginals just never figured it out or, you know, were too conservative or didn't like, you know, didn't, couldn't innovate in any kind of way. But the reason lots of people think uh, they did is that they definitely probably, they probably knew about bow and arrow technology because the Torres Strait Islanders, who are also an indigenous group of Australians, just a few, you know, kilometers from the, the Australian mainland, you know, knew about the bow and arrow, and they actually sold weapons uh, and things like that to, to the Aboriginal Australians. The main problem is that they couldn't get the wood to make the powerful compound bows, which replaced boomerangs everywhere else. So, ah. plus, the kind of creatures they're trying to kill, like kangaroos and emus, are pretty tough. Um, if you've ever been to Boda Wildlife Park, right, you don't want to mess with kangaroos, believe me. Um, and so you need something stronger to uh, pierce their hide. Fortunately, they had something in the Woomera, which is uh, a spear-throwing device which lengthens your arm and gives you a lot more force. And so you could actually throw a spear with a much more force than you could use a bow to kill things like kangaroos. And so that's what they did. So they never really opted for bow and arrow technology. And so they had an elaborate set of boomerangs, many of which were used in war. And we do have some early accounts of sort of, which are slightly creepy because this is a lot of white settlers going out to watch Aboriginal groups engage in warfare. Um, and this is a sort of strange tourist pastime which we associate with settler colonialism. Um, one of the more, apropos of nothing, one of the more disturbing videos I saw was in the Musée Cabranly in Paris, where they take an actual television footage of two tribes going to war and, and people are, are getting killed and things like that. And it, there's something slightly icky about, about the, the tourist aspects of this, I suppose, yeah. or the aesthetic aspect of it. But anyway, they do describe someone using a, 
a particularly polite Aboriginal Australian, they said, using <laughs> using a, a a war boomerang to to do serious injury to someone from another group. Right. Okay. And so then, presumably, then. Uh, yeah, your average person with a, with, with a boomerang would have several of them, or or even more, for ver- for various reasons. Yeah, and in fact, they're they're for lots of different reasons. Um, so you would, yeah, I mean, a non-returning boomerang, you'd probably want to have a second one if you you miss mm. <laughs> with the first one. But they're actually used for all kinds of things. They were used as clubs. There were some things which they would have called a boomerang, which they mostly hit people over the head with. You could, they made music. I mean, it was tremendously important to Aboriginal Australian culture. They would, you know. You could dig with it, but you could also use it as a fire starter. Um, you could uh, bang them together and make music. And so there are all kinds of different uses which these things had. And again, that's something we see in a lot of the cultures which did use boomerangs. I mean, the, the oldest boomerang was found in some Polish cave and was actually made out of a mammoth tusk. It was a non-returning boomerang. Hmm. Um, you'll be disappointed to hear. But, uh, you know, again, these, you know, they had so many different uses, and they often had sacred associations. The way they were decorated, for example, is, is, is important to the particular group who had produced it. Uh, an amazing piece of technology, then. And, and they work in space. They work in space. I don't know why um, the people who go up into space repeatedly test to find out whether boomerangs work in space. But several times they've done this. So you'd think once would be enough. But, you know, several times they have tried to see if boomerangs work in space, and they do, which is interesting, right? You know, so one of the things, and this actually gets us back to gyroscopic precession. One reason why tops and, and sort of, uh, you know, other, other spinning items tend to, to go into this kind of a fallout of a perfect axis is gravity is pulling one side down. So if your top isn't spinning perfectly, it's going to start to wobble to one side, but keep spinning, right? And that's the same kind of effect you see in a boomerang. But in space, there is no gravity. And so it's really interesting that it's clearly not gravity which is causing it to return to you. And I guess maybe that's what they're, they're, they're trying to check, you know, trying to figure out what the actual technology of boomerangs is uh, when they do this. I also don't know where in a, a space station you would find the space to throw boomerangs. But yeah. the smallest boomerangs are only about four inches long. So, you know, you might, uh, <laughs> you might get away with it there. Yeah, and but today though, would uh, are boomerangs for use for any purpose other than you know as a novelty? Well, yeah, I mean, there's um, a World Cup of boomerangs. I don't oh. know if you describe that as a novelty. And people have set some quite incredible records. They've thrown them hundreds of meters. In fact, not only is it the world's first sort of heavier than air flying object uh, that you know is capable of flight despite being heavier than air. But it's also the, the object which is being thrown the farthest. It's being thrown hundreds and hundreds of meters is the current record. And, and the current record for the longest thrown object uh, defeated the Frisbee, and it was, in fact, a, a boomerang. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty impressive. And, 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 and speaking and, of Frisbees, if you're throwing a boomerang, do not throw them like a Frisbee. I've made this mistake myself. It, the same forces which cause it to return to you, if you throw it right, um, can cause it to, well, will cause it to... Uh, to rapidly fly around sort of up and then crash uh, and you won't get a satisfactory flight. Right, okay. And it's uh, interesting to note that a lot of the world records for um, in, in the sporting context aren't actually in Australia. They're for all sorts of countries. Yeah, no, Europeans, there's actually even an international um, team called the Boomer Gang, which are people from different countries who've won the sort of world championships. And there are lots and lots of different events. Like you have to throw it so it returns to a, a relatively small circle. You have to you know, throw it uh, through a small circle so it doesn't leave that circle. You have to, you know, throw it and, and have it last as long in the air as possible 
within 100 meters. Um, and there are many, many records in this regard. But, uh, you know, people do seem to like it. And, you know, there are lots of tips on how to fashion your own boomerang. But uh, it really is fun. If you look at videos online, you, you know, it's, it's, it can't be quite satisfying. It's more satisfying, arguably, than a Frisbee. Graham Fennelly, thank you very much. Thank you. Let's talk about money. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.